0: Emmanuel Acho released the video called Pro-Life versus Pro-Choice. It was sent to me by a friend, and I thought, oh, this is going to be a fantastic, nuanced conversation, bringing people together of different opinions to better hash out our differences. Instead, it was a 30-minute video highlighting two different stories of women who terminated their pregnancies and a miscarriage, along with Judah Smith's wife as the official representative for the Christian Perspective. There was multiple problems with this video. For starters, there was no actual pro-life representation, despite it being framed as a pro-life versus pro-choice dialogue. There was also multiple arguments made by the panel to position the pro-choice movement as some sort of victim that's lost all of their rights. Check out some of these clips and let me know if you could tell what's wrong with them. By saying I am pro-choice, it's implying that I am anti-life but the choice you made literally saved your life. I'll just start with the fact that we have lawmakers that are making very legal decisions about a very medical, you know, problem. And it takes away all of the complexities and it just completely reduces it to abortion, no abortion. Like that's it. And check this one out. You can love God. You can be a member of your church. You can choose to have an abortion and you can still be a good person. So she believes it's about being a good person. Check out what Judith Smith's wife says about one verse that talks about being knit together in your mother's womb. Christians look to a passage of scripture which says you were knit in your mother's womb and they stand on that and say abortion is wrong. It's one verse versus thousands and thousands of verses that are in the Bible. And we have a conviction is when we look at the Bible is we put the emphasis where God puts the emphasis. Mm. And he puts the em- emphasis on love. He puts the emphasis on forgiveness. He puts the emphasis on compassion. And here's what Emmanuel had to say was the solution. I, I fervently believe that justice will not be served until those that are unaffected are as outraged as those that are affected. That's true. And so after we identify what justice looks like, I think those men that are unaffected need to be as outraged as those women that are affected. On this video, I'll be addressing the rise of pro-choice Christians, some key facts that were left out of this conversation, and exploring the specifics of why these types of videos aren't reflective of the broader pro-life Christian response. Bruce line. Before we get into this video, I want to let you guys know that I actually reached out to Emmanuel with the hope of getting him to come on and have some dialogue about the specific video. I didn't know that Emmanuel was a Christian, I found out after the fact, and I for one love diving into some nuanced conversations. And if you wait till the end of this video, I'll actually refer you to some great dialogues about this very topic where two people from opposing views come together and have a sensible, respectful dialogue. So I go into this video because it was sent to me by a Christian friend, just checking it out. And I said, oh, well, it's framed as this pro-life versus pro-choice video, but it's really just a pro-choice piece about women who've gone through this procedure. I said, okay, fine. Didn't think nothing of it, went to bed, wasn't gonna make a video about it, nothing like that. And then I get up, and I discovered that this video was allegedly used uh, some production assistance from Judas Smith's church. I found that rather problematic because if we're going to be Christians and have meaningful conversations about a something as polarizing, about a something as close to our hearts like the unborn, you would think that both sides would be accurately represented, especially the way this was framed. And unfortunately, it wasn't represented that way in the least, in my opinion. Now, maybe there was a bunch of stuff that was clipped out and maybe uh, Chelsea Smith, who's Judah Smith's wife, uh, put on a, a, a great argument and an apologetic for why we should be pro-life. Maybe that was edited out. I don't know. However, what I do know is that this was not an accurately representative video of the whole pro-life position. And I think that was a bit disingenuous to frame it that way and not have a single person that they could find to want actually articulate what the pro-life position is to what the practicality of the woman's body going through this procedure is, in the long-term effects. And three, they couldn't find a single person who kept their pregnancy that was happy they kept a the pregnancy. And so again, we wait till the end. I'll give you guys resources. We're going to be unpacking some things that I could point you to, and then we're going to be doing something really cool tomorrow to highlight these t- sorts of stories. So I want to make it clear, man, that this video is not to attack Emmanuel uh, or, or any of the women uh, on this panel. That's not what my heart is. That's why I'm actually not going to be reacting to it clip by clip. I put all the clips in the intro so that I may be more focused on communicating my heart to you guys without any fluff or me turning up and saying something I'm going to regret. So with that, I want to address this idea of the rise of the pro-choice Christian. I I understand where it comes from. It it comes from a natural desire to want to be empathetic. It comes from a natural desire to want to understand why certain people can make these decisions. But I'll, I'll get to where I think it crosses the line. But I don't think there's anything wrong with empathy. I think if any of us who've done prison ministry, like I've done, went and sat down, or have had friends that have went to prison, made bad decisions, spent years locked up. It doesn't require a whole lot to sit down with someone, hear their story, and say, you know what? I understand how you came to these conclusions. I understand how you maybe fell into some of these traps. I understand your life wasn't fair. We all didn't start at equal playing fields. And sometimes we fall short, we mess up, and and that's where things go sometimes. Someone that's had a lot of friends and family who've made a lot of decisions that I don't co-sign I get the desire to want to extend empathy, and I think this is where some of the like the the pro-choice Christian comes from, and also like the politically side not wanting to vote for you know Republicans and Donald Trump. Which I, by the way, I did not vote for Donald Trump. Some you guys may be like, ah, yeah, I didn't vote for Donald Trump. So I, I understand the heart. However, where I think this logic falls short is that we don't just acknowledge that there's grace, that there's mercy, that there's forgiveness. If you're a woman watching this video, Jesus loves you. The gospel is for you. The church is. Here, and we want to see you whole, we want to see you heal, and we want to see you transform. I think that is indicative of the gospel message. And that is indicative, in my opinion, of every person who holds a pro life position. But I think where it crosses the line is where we take stories like the woman at the well, story of the woman caught in adultery, and then we saying, Don't cast the first stone, right? Who cast the first stone? We're taking that story and now we're prescribing it to enable a system where this act is okay. And And not only is it okay, that it's also something that is quote unquote, a woman's right. So we're taking something that's, hey, we extend mercy, we extend forgiveness, we extend honor and grace to whatever people have gone through. And now we're taking this and we're attaching it to this is permissible. And when we're talking about systemic issues and justice, most of us saw what happened in 2020 and and saw the George Floyd situation and say, hey, you know what? Even people who may be in situations where they encounter law enforcement, maybe people who've even broken the law deserve dignity and deserve to have their rights protected and don't deserve to be taken out in the way that we saw George Floyd and others in 2016, Philando Castile, people that were complying. As a society, as a culture, we saw this, this thing happen and we say, "We no, this is not okay. This is not something that we should be comfortable with regardless on who this group is. And now we're seeing a similar shift where who can be more vulnerable than the unborn? Who could be more vulnerable than people that can't speak up for themselves, the people that aren't able to fight, the people that aren't able to have a voice, but the unborn. However, it is Ironic that this concept of justice isn't extended to the unborn, that it's seldom extended to those who have the least voice and the least power and the least ability to speak up for themselves. And so when people then speak up for them and they say, hey, this is not right. We understand you make mistakes and we understand that life happens and we understand that it's complicated. But just because something is complicated doesn't mean that we as a society need to be okay with this thing. doesn't mean that this is found in the Constitution and should be permissible and allowed. Now, let me go into some of the things that were left out from this video. Very obviously, it's just any type of conversation about what the pro-life position is. Second of all, it was left out that the vast majority of pro-life advocates are women. That's right, women. And a lot of them are women of color. Another thing that was left out is that most European nations actually have more restrictive abortion bans than America, meaning that if you look at everywhere from France to Germany, you have restrictions uh, as early as 10 weeks and as late as 15 weeks, okay? Second of all, we, we left out that 75% of Americans, according to a survey, are okay with a 15-week ban. How did this get pushed up to the Supreme Court? A 15-week ban in Mississippi. And then they wanted more and they wanted an extension. They wanted it to go up until when the fetus was viable, which is at 21 weeks. The baby is viable at 21 weeks. They fought it and that's how it got overturned. Over something that is actually a more liberal law than you have in France with regards to this procedure. So I think that the issue here is that we're leaving out so much about this conversation. We're leaving out so much about the pro-life position. And it's disingenuous in my opinion. It's not fair. It's not reasonable. It's not sensible. And the problematic side is, is now when you're attaching pastors and you're attaching a uh, uh, production assistance from a celebrity pastor, his church supposedly, allegedly, our production assistants. So you're not just uh, avoiding and omitting the actual dialogue. You're also leveraging some uh, seemingly church funds, which puts in question, like, how much of a uh, church home was involved in this whole thing? How does Judith Smith personally feel about this? How does his wife feel about this after the fact? Does she feel like she articulated the rights of the unborn accurately? Does she think if she could snap her fingers and make abortion go away, would she? And I wish there was more nuance to it, and I wish there was actual representation. Now, let me give you two reasons and then we're going to give you some additional resources of how we got here. And this is not me trying to dunk on anybody. This is not me trying to rub it in when when this whole Roe v Wade thing broke. I didn't go on social media and celebrate. I was more shocked because as a Christian, I was repeatedly told that this is something that'll never happen. Roe v Wade will never get overturned, and so don't even worry about it. Don't you even consider worrying about it. Don't consider any of those things, right? And and I hold held a position that was kind of similar to this. And I have a lot of Christian Friends that hold hold the position kind of similar to this, like ah, I guess it's permissible. But let me lay out two things that got us here, and then I'm going to give you some legal precedent to help us understand why we're here now. So, two things that got us here around 2020 when this whole pandemic started, and we went into 2021, and people started having access to the vaccine. The bang bang, we remember this, and we remember that people on the, I don't really want to get vaccinated side. were saying my body, my choice. They were kind of using it ironically. Well, what happened after that, which by the way, I'm one of the few, as far as I know, Christian influencers, Christian YouTubers, whatever. That was very open and transparent that I did get the vaccine that I think you should look at the medical options, but I was against the mandates. I thought the mandates were unhelpful. And what we saw happen was we saw doctors and nurses who we called heroes At the onset of this thing, who all of a sudden, who actually got COVID, all of a sudden were being mandated and forced to get this jab and were then... Losing their job because they felt like it violated their bodily autonomy. This was really happening, and thousands of nurses and thousands of doctors lost their jobs. And some people, not all people, but some people were gleeful at this. They thought they were nut cases. They thought they were insane. They thought that this was craziness. Wow, you, you're you're a conspiracy theorist because they were simply like, I already had, the, I already had the Rona. I don't want to get this thing. Okay, and these are friends of mine, nurses, doctors I know personally, many of which almost lost their job. A lot of which lost their job. And there was a massive consensus online that was gleeful over this mandate come down in many states. Second reason I want to point out, and this is not just a point at the hypocrisy, but I just want you guys to understand how we got here. Second thing to happen is the concept of medical consensus, the concept of the science, the concept of this is what we know is best for you, so listen to us, the expert, also went out the window. Because you know what, there was a lot of flip-flopping by the scientific community. There was a lot of hey, you know, masks, uh, you don't need a mask, don't get a mask. Then it was like you gotta wear a mask. Then it was like you only wear a cloth mask. There was a lot of flip-flopping. Hey, if you get this thing, you can go back out and live normal. Hey, actually, never mind, you can't go out anymore, even if you got this thing, right? <laughs> this whole thing was a lot of flip-flopping and a lot of was discovered was like, yo, these medical consensus really don't know what they're talking about. And then as we transition into biologically born men competing in female sports, we saw the medical consensus say, no, it's okay, there's no advantages. And all of us looked at Leah Thompson who was head and shoulders taller than every other swimmer and said, you know what? These medical consensus might be wrong about this. You know what? This whole women and men, uh, this this is something inco- incoherent about this art- uh, this whole thing so what happened america as a whole has lost trust in the medical consensus a lot of us have lost trust in the medical consensus so you can position this as a medical argument but Listen, it sounds like an incoherent form of logic because of this. this is, when you look at the legal precedent, we say, you know, people's bodily autonomy. And I think your bodily autonomy is important. I don't think anybody should violate your bodily autonomy. I think most pro-life people would agree. Bodily autonomy, what you do with your body, despite the bang-bang and all that, the jab thing. I think it's an important thing. But here's what, here's what we're missing. If we go back to the 80s, when seatbelts were first mandated, you know what happened? The same exact argument was used against seatbelts. There were people that felt like their constitutional rights were violated because, well, you're forcing me to do something with my body that I don't want you to do. And the seatbelts had a lot of pushback in the 80s, okay? And then eventually, they got mandated. And then eventually, you just couldn't get a car without a seatbelt. And then eventually, there, something came, clicking or ticket came along. And now, we all accept the seatbelt, as This is just how we drive. This is how we drive. It is against your bodily autonomy to an extent. It is not your choice to drive around with a seatbelt, and there are consequences. So to say that we never limit people's bodily autonomy is just nonsensical. When other people are around, around when other people aren't involved, when there's another person that could be uh, uh, impacted negatively, we've, we we limit people's choices and rights all the time, if the pandemic didn't teach us this, I don't know what uh, what did, right? So I think this is the problematic part where like we don't really sit and think through these things. If we're just talking about drunk driving, if we're talking speeding laws, there was always movements to help create legislation to protect other people on the road okay? And this is similar to a baby in a stomach, <laughs> believe it or not. That's another person in there with unique DNA, at, you know, at a heartbeat, a brainwave at like five weeks, 10 fingers, 10 toes, eyeballs at like seven, eight weeks. By 10 or 12 weeks, it looks like a full-on person, okay? It can hear and remember things. We're leveraging emotional anecdotal experiences instead of addressing, hey, is this beneficial for society? Is allowing people to drive 150 miles on the freeway is that beneficial to society? I understand. Sometimes your wife might be in in labor and you got to get on a freeway and you got to get there or she might have the baby in a car. This happened to my pastor. Sometimes there's a time where you could break the, the, the law to get to where you're going to. I understand that. And the issue though with this conversation is when we have this dialogue and we say, okay, you know what, let's just say this. Let's just agree that incest and and, and a woman's body, uh, uh, the, the, the woman's health, and rape, and all, let's just let's say all that's bad. And we agree, all of that's bad. And let's just say we agree that it should be permissible. I'm, I'm doing a thought experiment. We agree that that should be permissible. There should be some extensions to that, by the way. And so, but if, but if you, you, Mr., Mr. Pro-Choice Christian, if you, Mr. Pro-Choice Christian, can snap your fingers and make abortion go away for the other 98% of people that have them on demand, would you? And see, the issue is seldom do people say, you know what, yes, because it's really just about these three or four minor things, and that's what, because we all know that's not what's actually happening. We all know that the moment the Roe v. Wade decision got overturned, the number one app on (laughs) the App Store was a fertility tracking app, helping women to track their cycles so that they don't get pregnant and not know it. About 800,000 to to a million, 800,000 to a million uh, uh, terminations every year. Okay, you think we're going to have 800,000 more babies next year? You think so? No, we're not. We're going to figure it out. People are going to learn to be responsible. People are going to learn to track their cycles. People, Men are going to learn to not just put their penis into anything because it feels good. Women are going to be way more selective with who they lay down with. We're going to be more introspective about these types of things because... Uh, Believe it or not, people know how their bodies work or at the very least they can learn. Now, that's not me saying that every single issue attached to this is okay or whatever. Listen, but to reduce this number is going to require a holistic approach. And so therefore, if we're going to address this, we have to let both sides be heard. And seldom do I see people on the pro-choice side be willing to be put in a position where they have to challenge their, their own biases and, 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 and have these dialogues. And so I want to point you guys to, to two resources. If you really are like, I don't understand Christians on this conversation, it seems like they're just bad. If you really, if you're really on that, and, and I haven't, I haven't moved you along in the slightest. Okay. If you're, if you're, if you're really on that, Here's a video that is very well done on the Ellen Fisher podcast, pro-life versus pro-choice debate, opposing views with Leela Rose and Brenda Davies. Now, I've had Brenda on the channel. She is from the YouTube channel, God is Grace. She's put out a book. She used to be a model, and she shares her story. And then uh, she's challenged by one of the top um, pro-life activists in the country, Leela Rose. And this is a good conversation. If you really want to get into minutia of this and you really want to get down to the logical side of this, check out this conversation. Here's another one. This is a conversation on Unbelievable Premiere. I'll link all these in the description below. This is overturning gray, a victory for life or a step back. And <clears throat> this is two women having this conversation, okay? Very, very good conversation. We'll get you a, a, a nice, well-rounded perspective. Here's another one. Since we're only platforming women who have had terminations and they're saying, oh, this it was the best decision I could have ever made for my life and my dreams and my self-actualization. Okay, respect. We're going to highlight, this is my, my, my friend's little sister, who was actually a teenage, uh, she had a teenage pregnancy and was considering having a termination, but she didn't, and she still went on to be all state and track, to, to break multiple records, multiple state records, and completely crush it, and that is her holding her baby while she won first place, and she's a track star athlete. We're gonna have her on the channel tomorrow, and we're gonna platform the stories of black women who have gone through and not done this termination and still went on to do incredible things with their life, get educated, build careers, go after their passions. Let's show a more robust, more balanced perspective on this, and that, you know what, some of us having kids The best thing that ever happened to us. A lot of us, really got to grow up (laughs) and get our lives together when the reality that, holy smokes, I'm responsible for another person. And I understand. I understand that there are other people that have been negatively affected uh, from having too many kids, too young, too soon. I get that. That's a real reality. And this, to me, is where the church gets to step up. This is where the pregnancy resource centers have been stepping up, which, by the way, folks like Elizabeth Warren trying to suppress those people from doing their job, which is ironic, folks who are giving away free baby formula, free parenting class, feeding women, providing financial resources, these pregnancy resource centers are actually out there doing this work. I think we could support them. And I think ultimately as a follower of Jesus, I'm personally just not expecting the government to fix this stuff. I think they could fix the adoption thing right now. There's over 2 million people looking to adopt. If we could fix that, I think that would alleviate some of this. But I think ultimately we as followers of Jesus need to build our lives in a way where if the opportunity presents itself for you and me to take in someone that is not biologically ours, but we can be a father to the fatherless. I think we should do that. That's the ultimate solution, I think. And that's actually what the church is historically done. So those are my thoughts on this conversation. Emmanuel, I would love to have a conversation with you. I would love to go deeper uh, with this on you because uh, I, I was I was disappointed, man. I was disappointed in the arguments that Chelsea laid out. I don't think she represented uh, the, the, the rights of the unborn in the least. And I was disappointed that they couldn't find uh, one woman who who was happy that she didn't get uh, an abortion and, and couldn't find one pro-life voice to have this dialogue with. And, and I think that to me is just disingenuous with the way this was framed. And uh, this whole rise of the pro-choice Christian. I get it. I do get it. But when you go down the rabbit hole and you actually logically address these things, you'll see that there's precedent and other legal things where we've suppressed people's rights uh, when other people are involved because we want to protect society as a whole. If you want to hear my initial videos on this, how Joe Rogan seemingly has changed his mind on this, you could check this video out over here. My last video on this. I'll see you over there. Peace.